Hola, amiga. I believe the only way to create a life of your dreams is by taking massive action that makes shit happen. Basically, amiga, handle your shit. Yes, I said that. Handle your shit. Stop playing small and start breaking down cultural limitations, gain back your feminine power, and become the unapologetic and unstoppable Latina you were destined to be. This show is meant to inspire, motivate, and awaken your soul's potential. You will learn from business professionals, successful entrepreneurs, and creatives that will teach you mental corrections, insider tips, success strategies, and of course, a dose of personal development. I am your host, Jackie Tapia, lawyer, transformational life coach, and entrepreneur. I am also a wife and mom to a little badass Latina. I'm obsessed with changing the Latina's mindset and breaking down cultural barriers so that you can live your best life and step into your true power and start living a life of abundance in all ways and always. Join me for inspiring conversations with thought leaders and learn how to handle your shit. ¿Estás lista? Vámonos. Hello, hello, amigas, and welcome back to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. I am super excited to introduce to you Patti Godoy Travieso. She's the director of quality and patient safety at Men's Central Jail here in L.A. County. She's an experienced director of quality and patient safety with a demonstrated history of working in the hospital, healthcare industry, and correctional health. Patty is skilled in nursing administration management, nursing education, pediatric advanced life support, advanced cardiac life support, and critical care nursing. She is a strong healthcare services professional with a master's in health administration focused in hospitality administration management. So I was very intrigued because I met her not too long ago, and she's such a beautiful soul. And, you know, I really wanted to have her come on to the podcast to explain to us, how does one get involved not only in nursing and move up the chain of command to be in a men's central jail? I'm sure she's got a lot of stories for us, so I'm excited for that. Also, simultaneously, she is the co-founder of Ella, which is better known as Empowering Leadership in Latina Athletes, which is a nonprofit corporation organized and operated exclusively for charitable purposes. And the mission of Ella organization is to support young female Latinas to become leaders of tomorrow through sports and academic excellence. So I'm so ready to have this beautiful, amazing discussion with her because it's such a, I'm almost like, it's like a paradox almost, but she's a beautiful soul. And I'm so excited that you get to listen to her here, learn about her journey, and then also how she landed this job at the Men's Central Jail. So without further ado, this is Patty Godoy Travieso. Hello, 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 amigas, and welcome to Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. So exciting, exciting. This person that I have right before me, OMG, her name is Patty Godoy. Oh my goodness. And she's got a fabulous life story. 
how she came to be Patti Godoy is incredible. I want you to all know about her, where she came from. Is she from LA or where is she from and how she moved up the chain of command to get to where you are, where she is right now. So as you all know, you already heard a little bio on her and I just want to get right to it. So welcome, 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 Patti. How are you? Jackie, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so excited to be here and I love the title of the podcast. <laughs> Amiga, handle your shit. I love it. It's so nicely put together because I'm saying it, but it doesn't sound like I'm saying any bad words. I know, like, right? Sounds, I love the flow. It's, oh my God, I love it. Thank you. So, yeah, I thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so you know happy to be here to share my story. So um, I'll get started. Yes, please so, do. First of all, I am the last of seven children. I was born in El Salvador. I was the menopausal child. My <laughs> mom thought she was going through menopause. So here I am nine months later, right? And so- Oh my yeah, God, so when I, you say that, when you say that, I'm like, shit, I better worry about me because I'm in menopause. <laughs> right? You should never let your guard down because you never know. I'm telling you, I'm, a, I'm good. I think for that because I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> So we lived in El Salvador, you know, very good life. My mom and my my dad actually had a meatpacking business and very, very, they were doing good. They they had coffee fields. I mean, we were very well off. When I tell people that I even had maids to brush my hair, that's how, how I know my parents were doing well. But at the age of 10, the war in, in El Salvador started, the uh, civil war. Mm-hmm. And between my, the ages, my age of 10 and 11 and a half, I went through a period of um, really, really, my world was turned upside down. First, it began with um, gunshots everywhere, hearing all this stuff. Here I am as a 10-year-old walking to school, and every morning it was dead bodies on the street. And it was one of those things when I think about it now, it's like, how did I deal with that as a 10 year old? It's like, my God, it got to the point that it was normal. My, my brother and I would look at each other every morning and say, well, let's see how many bodies we can count. Literally. Oh, my we God. Over dead <gasps> bodies. Oh, my God. So one day, I think my parents got, you know, just ready to leave. And overnight we had a pack. And I remember vividly that night because my parents just said, pack a backpack. That's all we were taking. And we left overnight, went through Mexico, Was lived there for a few months. My mom had already lived in the U.S. seven years before, so she knew that the U.S. was the land of opportunity. So she knew she had experienced that. So she had a, a mindset. And her being an entrepreneur and businesswoman, she she knew that you know she needed to get to where she was going to have, the money was going to be available for her family. So we said to, to leave it. And again, here we are, here I am, 11 and a half, almost, or almost 12. And they, my mom said, my parents are like, okay, so we, we're going to be crossing the border. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> so we were, oh, we're just going to leave at night. And again, we're like, went through the mountains. I remember three times we tried. The second time we got caught, I was in jail in Mexico. Oh. Uh, I don't remember that though. I think I subconsciously they put it away somewhere when my parents talk about it is when I realized, Oh my God, that's true. And they said we were there for a few, you know, uh, days. Um, anyway, so here I am and, and, you know, 12, finally we crossed the, the border crawling and all that darkness galore. It was, I cannot tell you how traumatizing that was. And so here I come and I remember after crossing the border, we had to go into a car and be packed like sardines to be brought from San Diego to LA. 
And I remember crying and my parents told me, be quiet, be quiet. I think the whole two hours I cried. So here I get to LA and I remember the first thing when they opened that, that truck, by the way, a priest was driving and had <laughs> been on top of the truck. I don't know how that didn't, didn't uh, flash or, or you know, create a warning sign. I'm like, yeah. Driving a truck with hate? <laughs> I don't understand. But anyways, here I get to Los Angeles and I am so, ex- you know, I, it's like a fresh, the colors were different. Everything is so beautiful. And so from the ages of 12 and 18, I live undocumented, illegal here in the United States. And for a while, it was it was kind of normal that we didn't really go places. We went from home to school. I went from home to school, church. That's all the places I went. And I remember my parents telling us all the time, we have to practice Mexican, how to speak Mexican. Oh my God. Why? (laughs) Oh, because if they they take us, they deport us, they're not going to deport us to Mexico because we can say we're Mexicans. So in our household, we would talk, practice Mexican. I'm like, how do you say this? (laughs) But I was always like thinking, oh my God, why do we have to do that? So, so I, during that time, I felt like my, I had a culturally disconnection from my own culture as being yeah. Salvadorian and here in the U.S. trying to get acclimated to this culture. And then my parents telling me, no, that you have to now sound Mexican and act Mexican and be Mexican. So if they, they catch us because, you know, we're going to go only to Mexico. And by the way, they did. My dad um, was caught in one of those raids and he had to go. He went to Mexico and it helped that he practices Mexican. <laughs> so um, so we, he goes because he came back, you know, faster. But, but yes, it was one of those things. And the other thing, you know, that I was thinking about, I'm like, my God, here I am a teenager and I'm socially oppressed because I cannot go anywhere. I couldn't go like, oh, I'm going to go to the Dodger game or I'm going to go this. I'm going to. No, I had to be home. I couldn't go anywhere. And so my escape um, during that time was church because with church you would see all people you know everybody and then church had this i would call them excursions to go to a general hospital to Mm. pray for the sick yeah and so when i start thinking about where i started my career because i truly feel that my career as a nurse started there because i remember going to the hospital and seeing that environment because soon after that i must have been 13 years old and going there praying for the sick and I remember at 14, I said, I want to be a candy stripe. I want to be a volunteer at a hospital. So those were my, my ways of escaping the, the reality of I couldn't really go anywhere else, anywhere else. Those were my sanctuary in a way. So at 14, I, at 15, actually, so in high school, here I'm in high school. And by the way, I learned English in three months. I don't know how I did it. And I think it's part of it is because I, I, I'm like, I need to find a way to sound like I'm not, you know, that, that I'm legal. <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. So I learned pretty quick, but um, I also like school a lot. So I, I really, that's the time that I, um, what I would do basically when I was alone is just read and learn and all that. So at 15, here I am in high school and I uh, took a class at that point. It was, um, at the time it was called ROP, Regional Occupational yeah. Program, I think. And they would yeah, teach yeah. you how to be different, you know, careers. Well, they had a certified nursing assistant class. And I jumped on it at 15. I was like, I'm going to take it. And I did it through the whole year. When I finished my sophomore year, I was a certified nursing assistant. And I went that, that summer. I told my mom, I'm going to go look for a job. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I am. Okay, I'm 16. I am not legal still, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to go to the newspaper and look for a job. 
I got a job and the lady and a nursing home. And the lady says to me, the director, I think she felt so, she looks at me and she said, why do you want to work here? (laughs) (laughs) You know who, I mean, who at 16 likes to work with older, the geriatric population, right? Not everybody. And that's truly when I felt like nursing was my calling because I remember so vividly enjoying helping the older, you know, generation or, or the older people there brush their hair, even their dentures. Okay. At 16, I don't know. But anyways, so I can tell you like true fun. <laughs> nursing for me has been a true calling, I can yeah. say. So I've been a nurse for over 30 years. I've done everything from bedside care. Right now I'm the director for, you know, correctional health services. And yeah, it's been an exciting journey. I mean, 30 plus years. And I'm telling you how old I am by saying that, but (laughs) but uh, age is is only a number. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Yes. And and so I'm also the co-founder of um, AYA. Mm -hmm. And AYA basically, well, AYA is she in Spanish. And it's an acronym for Empowering Leadership in Latina Athletes. This nonprofit organization was founded by my daughter, Lily, and I. And it's because we went through, as my daughter was looking, she, she's, a, she's a student athlete and she wanted to pursue her, she wanted to play, play in college, basically. And uh, so as, as we started going through her journey, we basically faced and, and we saw firsthand a lot of disparities in the, in the athletic you know, community for Latinas. In her own teams, we saw young girls, we saw the disparities of where the, the people that had the funds or the money, it was a lot easier for them to afford all that because to be an athlete and, you know, as you get older, I know you start with the park and recs and then they go to the clubs and all that, that becomes really expensive. It doesn't matter what sport you play, but it, it's expensive. My daughter, I can tell you, was an average of about, for softball, it's about an average of $20,000 a year. Oh my so God. that alone can tell you that, it's going to be very difficult for the the person or the family that to afford that. Right. And so, in our own experiences that we we um, we went through with my daughters, having to see some of her teammates having to fundraise money. I remember this one little girl, her family. They would call it Taco Tuesdays, and I thought initially it was oh maybe they have a business, you know? Right. No, they would do it out of their home. They would sell it because that was what was going to help her daughter be able to afford the dues for, because there's dues, monthly dues, there's uh, um, a very expensive bats, very expensive uniforms, the showcases they have to go. And so we saw that too. We also saw, we and one of her teammates, they wonder why she smelled like bleached when she would come to practice. And we later found out is that she was helping her mom. She was basically helping her mom clean houses so she could offset some of her dues as well. Yeah. So those, those are the kind of things that we, ex- and then we saw the other spectrum too, right? And I'm not going to say what color, but, or what race, but girls at 16 riding, I mean, driving Lexus to practice, right? you know, driving all these expensive cars and, and the parents just freely with their checkbook, whatever you need for, for her to be seen and forever for all that. So, so we started seeing that. And so when my daughter got committed to Cornell and I have to say, it's been for us, we're so humble that she's there and we wanted to give back to the community. And this is why we founded AYA because we want to make sure we create opportunities, create resources for our young Latina players doesn't matter what sports yes 
you know, softball is what we know because mm-hmm. that's, you know, what, what I know, but we're also, you know, standing to golf, we're standing to soccer. We're doing all the stuff trying to help out right now. And just this week alone, we had an event where because of Aya, there's a camp in softball that's called Honor Roll. It is where all the high academic coaches go. Basically, all the Ivy Leagues, all the T3s mm-hmm. that are highly academic. The camp is $800 for two days mm-hmm. for the girls to go. So Aya came into the picture and we assisted 50 players and they only had to pay $200. Wow. So it's a savings of $600 per player. So those are some of the things that the organization is doing. We're also looking to, so we individually have affected the lives of over a hundred athletes that we have held hand to hand is in the softball community alone. And also over 5,000 athletes that we have indirectly touched them in some way, whether it has been through uh, donation of equipment, whether it has been through seminars, whether it has been to skills camp. We actually, AYA has helped Triple Crown Sports. They're working with that, that organization to put a international challenge, which means that there's some girls that are going to be seen by the, the softball organizations from Peru, Panama, and then they can play for them in the junior league, basically. Yeah. But my daughter was grateful to and you know lucky to be able to we gave her that opportunity as well we, we were able to help her with that she played for the for the 19u puerto rican national team so imagine as a 17 year old yeah. to be able to represent your parents heritage is beautiful and so right now in 2021 is when we started the first international challenge and it was incredible so right now over 40 girls have been able to be selected from those camps so they could go and play in Panama, in Colombia, and they're under 19 you, you know, under, un, under 19. So those, all those opportunities is what we're hoping to do. Again, we know that opportunities are tied to money, right? And they always say you have as many opportunities as, you know, whatever money you're willing to spend. So, you know, we know that as, uh, you know, as well. So I, this is, I'm very passionate about Ella is changing the life of my daughter. And my daughter wants to give back to the community, want to give back to, you know, Latinas. And I know we, um, we want to be able to level that playing field. We say that because when you look at numbers and I'm all about numbers too, because I work with data. And um, when you look at numbers, the NCAA, which is the National Collegiate Athletic Association, I also think of that, 6% of the athletes that play at college are Hispanic. 1% is women. So oh when you God. think about that, there's so much work to be done. So we need, we need more representation from our Latino community, our Latino athletes. I know that there's a lot of talent out there. Yeah. And a lot of times too, what happens, and this because, is when we go back to the support because it's opportunities and support, yeah. right? We have the support is the parents. And it's not because we're Hispanics. It's just that we, especially with women, we hold women, our little girls, like, oh, no, Mija, you can't go until you get married. You know, because I, I remember my parents telling my my sisters, you can't leave the house unless you're married. Yeah. Or, you know, and so a lot of times that kind of bites them in the opposite yeah. way because then they end up, right, getting pregnant because now, oh, now they have to leave. Right. So, and I've had, we've had, you know, families say to their children, because I know it's not easy, 
well, you can't go that far away from school. Like you cannot go to the East Coast. And they're giving them a full ride or whatever scholarship because we were like, no, we want to be together. And I get it. And that's one of the things my, my, my daughter told um, someone in an interview. She said, you have to embrace culture, but you cannot let culture define you. Mm-hmm. Because that's something that, and let me tell you, it was hard for me to let. My daughter's 3,000 miles away. And it's hard every time she has to leave because, yeah, you know, we want to hold, hold our, our babies. We want to have them there. Yeah. But we also have to allow them to grow. And, and especially yeah. women. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier for, for men. But Latinas, we need to say, Mija, go, do your thing, you know. Yeah. Get your wings. And, and that's what we're trying to do is, is not only get to the parents as well and say, no, it's okay. Let them explore. Let them go. It's something good because yeah. it's going to empower them. We're going to yeah. empower these young women to come back for the next generation and be really strong. Right. You know, the higher education they have, the better their outcome is going to be in life. So, oh, so all that. So it's all that stuff that, and you know, that's why I'm so passionate about it because developing this little yeah leaders <laughs> I, it shows oh my god I sh- it totally shows and and I commend you for this because I think you touch upon the fact of yes let's embrace culture but you can't let culture define you and it's so true in my programs I teach about rewiring the limited cultural beliefs because they're so ingrained and indoctrinated in you. So it becomes a bit more challenging to break from it, especially when you have all the community telling you, oh, no, 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 you're too young or no, 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 you can't leave. No, you got to buy by this and all that stuff. And it's so important for young girls out there, young women, that if you have a passion for sports, Listen to your intuition, find the mentors, find these programs like Aya to support you because you need the support because you're probably going to be faced with a big challenge, right? Yes. Not only financially, but even more so just with your community, with your home, you know, being faced with, you know, parents that, you know, are still, I mean, I guess, you know, yes, you're, you're so concerned about the safety of your children. I have a kid and I can't even like at this point in my life, I mean, she's 10 years old, but I know that she needs to fly and spread her own wings and pave her own path. I can't keep her here. Like if she wants to move away from us when for camps or for, for school. Yeah. We need to, as parents, it's our duty and our job to just let them. We already taught them and we just kind of trust in faith that they make good decisions. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yes. I, I love this. And so how does one get involved with Aya? So you can reach out. Uh, we are, our webpage is basically www.ayasportsfoundation.org. You'll find everything there. Right now, one of the things that we're doing is, um, because like I told you earlier, we're venturing out to other sports. We're starting to, you know, running. Uh, we, we were accepted as, um, as a nonprofit partner for the LA Marathon Charity mm-hmm. Challenge. So we're going to be having some people uh, fundraise and, and run and walk and get healthy for next year. So we're looking for actually people that want to help us with that. And all that information is on our webpage. 
And on our webpage too is, is our email. So you can contact us through there. There's a, uh, if you want to join the uh, subscribers, it's free. It's not, it's just, you, we just get updates and we send you, you can also follow us on Instagram and it's Aya underscore foundation. And uh, we're on Twitter as well. Aya foundation. And uh, yeah, so you can contact us and, and uh, there's uh, info at AIA is basically the email info at AISportsFoundation.org. And, and yeah, we can, you know, we, everything on the, that you need to know about the foundation is there on the website too. Beautiful. Thank you for that. And I, I'll make sure that it gets posted on the show notes. So love our conversation about AIA, but I can't let you go without discussing The elephant in the room, shall we? Your job as someone who is a director at a men's central jail. So I would, I want to dive deep in there because, you know, when I met you and you told me about that, I was like, oh, how do you do it? Because Amiga, I mean, you have all the credentials behind you. You've got degrees, you have an MSN, you have an MHA, you have an RN, and you are also the director, clinical nursing director of correctional health services for Men's Central Jail. Okay, so amigas, we're talking Men's Central Jail, like allegedly the worst of the worst, right? And so, of course, it just makes me believe like, okay, you're a woman with all these men. So you must have a lot of stories. And I just, I'm like so curious. Why did you decide to take this kind of job? So like I mentioned to you earlier, I've been a nurse over 30 years and I found a passion for quality improvement about five years ago. And so I was working as a quality consultant for LACUSC. And then I was asked, if I was interested in bringing quality to the jails of LA County. When I was asked that, I have to be honest with you, I've been in nursing, you know, again, 30 some years, and I never thought that I would ever, ever even step in a jail. I didn't think that I would be interested in that. But when they talked about improving and, and change and all that, because I, I do that all the time. I love that. I love change and, and improving processes. It kind of turned a little light in my head and I thought, well, why not? And I've always believed that in order to succeed in life, you have to get out of, out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. If you're too comfortable in a place, you're not going to grow. You're not, you, you're going to stay there. And so for me, I was like, wow, this is a very uncomfortable move. Very, very uncomfortable. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I think many amigas out there would agree with you. <laughs> yes. And so I decided, I said, okay, Patty, I'm going to do this because that's how it's been my life. It's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And so I did that. And so when I first came here four years ago, I was the director of quality and I would oversee all the jails, but it was just quality within the, all the jails. But as of a year ago, I'm now basically the director for Men's Central Jail. And to be honest with you, it was something that I hesitated to take this job because number one, I didn't have jail nursing experience. I had all the experience that you can think of in the world of nursing, but not jail experience. And I didn't want to do take this job. (laughs) I was like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. There's actually like a, like a, a certain way 
Yeah, for, it's very oh, different. It's very oh, different. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not. And I tell people because not until you're here, you really understand. Because it's not like a hospital, and it's not like an ambulatory care center. It's not like a clinic. It's not like a hospital. It's not like anything. So it's very different. It's kind of like I always compare it to a school, but that they never go home. Like school nurses. Imagine having school nurses attend to children in a school. The children, yeah. But yeah. then those children never go to school. Never go home. They stay there. They stay there. So anyway, so when I, yeah, I, I didn't really want to. I think I, I just was very, but then again, I went back to, there's a reason why this is being presented to me. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why I need to do this. And as dark as I think and thought it would be, mm-hmm. I felt like I needed to to do this. Yeah. It was, you know, and, and I always said to myself, I'm not someone to run away from a challenge. This is a challenge. I'm going to say that as an opportunity. Because that's basically how um, my whole life it's, I've been faced with challenges yeah. and obstacles and, and I've been able to um, see them as opportunities and then grow from there. You know, so I thought, well, maybe this will be a, a stepping stone for something else. I don't know. So here I am. So let me, like my mom used to say, put your big chonies on <laughs> and go do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I pull my big chonies and I tied it up and I'm like, okay, so here I am. So here I am a year later, year and a half almost. And it's been an amazing opportunity. I have to say it's incredible. It's the largest jail in the country, almost 5,000 inmates, all men, different classifications, different everything. And one of the biggest challenges for me, because again, I know that we are inside a jail, so it's, it's really hard to to see people as, you know, inmates, for me, they're patients. Mm. And, and so, you know, the struggle of, yeah, you've done, I don't know what else you've done. I don't want to know, but right now you need healthcare. And so that's the struggle every day that I have is trying to find the medium between, because I also have to work with 90% men, you know, the sheriff. Uh, so, so trying to, for them to try to hear it from a woman too. Yeah. To tell you that um, in the executive level, well, I'm the only Latina and I am, um, I think, one of two women. So there's a lot, they're used to working with men because it's men driven. I mean, it's, so, so they, you know, hearing it from a woman, a lot of times it's, it's, it's hard to swallow for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I'm sure you get a lot of pushback. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> they probably think, they probably think that they know better. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. So this is going to get juicy for me because to me, this is so fascinating. When you accepted this position, was there ever a time that you got scared in this position? Oh, yes. I have to tell you the first week that I walked through, because first of all, it was a long way to walk to my office. My, My office is literally inside the facility. So the first time I walked through it, it's just so cold and so dark. There's no windows. There's, I mean, there's horrible Wi-Fi. <laughs> so, and it's very, it's kind of like, you know how when you go to, um, when you're in a, the homeless environment, like the homeless population, yeah. you know how you walk through that and you feel it, right? You're already like, oh my God, it affects, you know, it just affects you walking through there. That's how it feels here because, and I believe in energy and I believe in all that, where, you know, this there's a lot of negativities, a lot of dark darkness here. Yeah. So walking through it. Yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah. The, I think the first 
few weeks that I walked through it, I would put my head down and just walk straight to my office. Because the other thing is that sometimes you don't know how to, how to do it. Do you say good morning? Do you not say anything? Do you say this? What do you say? Do you look at them in the eyes? Do you, you know, there's so many things. And, um, but I, you know, I've learned now I walk in, I say hello to people. I, you know, they say hello to me. I say hello. I, you know, it's, it's just a normal environment now, but yeah, I was really scared. Oh my God. I, Jesus, if I were to walk through a, a very dark place, like just imagine like walking as a woman in a dark alley, Yes, like that in itself is going to make like cause concern you're going to be looking behind you Mm -hmm. to the side because you just don't know if someone's going to come after you yeah oh my god but you've been able to move forward and so you're working there and so what do you find when you're with with these inmates do you is there like a particular health concern that they have like is there more one kind of let, let's say hypothetically speaking like you see more men that are coming for men needs meaning like there's this colonoscopy that needs to happen or what kind of medical issues are they coming to see you with so, you know, right now it's, I would say it's pretty general. It's everything, anything and everything from a little cut, from a little laceration on the arm to something huge. And I think it has a lot to do with the population too, the population that we have, because the majority are underserved communities where they come from. So they never had, maybe this is the first time they're seeing healthcare or have access to healthcare. So it's, it's very, very sick population. And I think we're also seeing two people are, are, they're, they're not dying or, or they're, they're living longer because with these diseases, you know, so now all oh, everybody's sick. There's a lot of mental health as well. So whatever's happening in the community mm-hmm. is more here as well. I mean, it's almost the same as, as here. Uh, with, through COVID, we did the same thing. It's like if we had a, a rising COVID in, outside, we would have a rising COVID in here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so it was, it, it's pretty similar to what's happening on the outside. Oh, wow. That's interesting that because, I mean, if they're incarcerated, how does even COVID come in? Like if you start to think about it, like COVID is because you're interacting with different people, right? Mm -hmm. Different people. So if you're in a prison, you've been there. How do you get COVID? So the first thing is that's one of the first things that I learned when I came here, because I always thought prison and jail were the same thing. Like prison and jail is the same thing. They're not. So jail basically is a place where people go to wait for trial. Yeah. So sometimes they come in and out because they were, let's say they got into a fight with somebody on the weekend. They got, got here. They're here only for two to three days and they, they let them go because their trial or, or, you know, whatever. Or somebody could be here for 10 years waiting for trial. Yeah. So prison is when they already have a trial, when they already been basically sentenced, then they go to prison. That's like a home. Like yeah. that's where they're there for. They don't go anywhere. But here's a revolving door sometimes. Uh, and that's what happens. Uh, Especially after you. the holiday weekend. <laughs> I, I, now I see. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, Drunk now driving. I get it. Drunk driving. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. See, I learn something you new learn, every day. No, <laughs> I'm telling you, that was the first thing, question I asked. What's the difference between jail and prison? Yeah. That's what I, oh, I'm like, I get it now. Well, yeah. now I see why COVID is there. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I cannot. Okay. Well, that really clears up some stuff. So when someone comes in to see you, do you also take a peek into their criminal record? Is that no. a thing? No. no. You just see the person for who they are and their health. That's it. Yes. Period of end of story. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Because, you know, I would think, I don't know, just human nature when you start to discover why they're there, that you like have these preconceived notions. I mean, I know I sometimes do, (laughs) but it's really important to leave that behind and just see the person for the person they are. Right. We're we're not supposed to, it's a breach of confidentiality too, because there's the difference between, so like even custody, custody doesn't, is not allowed to know their medical side. Mm. Only um, they're, you know, so it's kind of like, they know they're why they're here, but mm-hmm. they don't know that they're sick. Yes. So, you know, that's the confidentiality part that has to be. So, yeah. I don't. think that's a great thing. It's kind of like the branches. We got the executive. We got the, you know, the president, the executive. We got the legislature, the judicial branches. So it's kind of like separate. Yes. So that, okay, I get it. Totally. That's good. I'm, I'm glad that that does happen. And that, um, you know, you see the person for who they are and they're sick. And that's the first thing that you see. So is there something that you would love to see a change in this profession? I would like to see more resources being provided because I say that, like I used to work at LA County, LACUSC, which is like the old general hospital. And you see a lot of homeless you know, population there. You see underserved communities. But, but this, the biggest issue here is that we're working with the most vulnerable population and vulnerable because they're incarcerated mm. because a lot of times we can't, and we might not be able to get to them because, or they might not be able to let their, let us know their needs, you know? So we need more resources. We need to be able to have more, you know, more staffing, more things that we can have to see them faster or to be able to get to them. So, yeah, yeah I would say that. Well, if anyone out there is listening to this, then we definitely need more nurses, obviously, more staff, more people willing to do those kinds of jobs. Because, I mean, when you when you say that you work in the in this sector for this sector of society, people are not lining up to get those jobs. Right. It's like it's kind of like a I don't know, men's central jail, like, hmm. Right. I mean, because energetically, as you said, it is very negative. And I know as me, as as someone who's an empath, I get that energy and it's sometimes hard to sever it. And I'm, I could just imagine other individuals who have a kind heart, who want to do the work, but that probably stops them. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. But I really commend you. I'm so honored that you're here to talk to us about this because it's a voice that, you know, it's voiceless. You're here to voice there for them. And you, I mean, you're God's angel, really. You know, you had that calling as a little girl to be a nurse, to get to where you are right now. And I'm really, really, really thankful for people like you who are servicing the community and making it better for all of us as well with the nonprofit that you're doing as well as Aya. Oh my goodness, Amiga, you got so much. Okay, before I let you go, I need 
your tips on how an Amiga can handle her shit? There's two of them. So number one, you have to be able to build resilience. And by that, what I mean is tap into your strengths. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to work through obstacles, not see them as, oh, that's where I'm going to stop. It's like, how can I get around it? How can I go under it? How can I go over that? Learn from your experiences because they're priceless. You have to set goals because if you don't set goals, you're not going to get anywhere. I always say people, you know, you always say you want to lose weight, but you don't say why, by how many pounds. <laughs> Once you start doing that, then you know you're going to set your mind to do that. And also choose the response you're going to have with that, whatever came your way, because that is also very important. And then the other one is you have to develop mindset. And by that, I mean, understand, number one, that we're not perfect, that, you know, not, not that we're going to fail. And I, that's the other thing I was going to say, change the word fail into learn. We're going to learn from our mistakes. We're going to make sure that what is it that we were learning and reflection is so important because I think when you start reflecting of where you've been, where you're going, what you're doing, it puts that, you know, that things in such great you know perspective. And also value the process of what you're going through. Because a lot of times we get so, and I used to do it with this with my daughter all the time when she was going through her, you know, athletic journey. And even now I tell her, enjoy that process that you're going through right now. Because you want to, oh, yeah, you want to do this, and you want to do that and you want to get there. But then once you get there, then that's it. You know, you, you wasted your time, not wasted your time, but you, you didn't really enjoy that. You didn't value that process. And yeah, and always see challenges as opportunities because Charlie, I'm telling you, I did not want to do this job. And I'm like, I think, I know this is preparing me for something not better, but maybe something bigger that I can do in, in life. So, um, yeah. yeah, maybe you work in the, what is it? The department of health for a nation. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you're paving the way and you're mentioning before that there aren't that many Latinas in these kinds of positions. So, so commendable. Thank you so much for being here. I love what you're saying. Build resiliency, tap into your strengths. You know, it's all about mindset, you know, and we're not perfect. Yeah, we're not perfect, but we get to pave the way. Mm-hmm. where we want to go. And so for that, I'm like, I'm like, kudos to you. Thank you so much for being here on Amiga Handle Your Shit. Cause I mean, I, this is fascinating stuff and Amigas out there are going to love this interview. Thank you so much, Patti, for being here at Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amiga Handle Your Shit podcast. If anything resonates with you today, please share it with your friends and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to share it on Instagram, Facebook, and other social media platforms. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at www.amigahandleyourshit.com. Thank you so much for listening. Gracias y hasta la próxima.